The following live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati is presented by agamayoga.com. Namaste and good evening, all of you. Glad to be again here. Tonight's lecture is a bit of a particular type. Uh, its title is an extract of a whole workshop that we do. We call it the Parapsychology One because we did select various topics from within the field of parapsychology allied to yoga. And in our Parapsychology One workshop, we approach from a practical, from a workshop standpoint, the issues of clairvoyance, what is clairvoyance, which are the different forms of clairvoyance, and the astral projection. Tonight we have taken this, level, this phenomenon of astral projection and since we do not have the possibility to make too many workshop-like things, we'll have to rather describe and classify and just show some of the practical ways in which it could be done. Astral projection, after all, is a very uh, big mystery, it's a very exciting phenomenon some people are experiencing some degree of astral projection in their daily lives. For some people, it's a city in China, really, and I'm sorry for those of you who are Chinese here, because uh, for everybody else, a city in China means a place where you're never going, where you've never been, you don't know about it. It's just an expression, it's not a uh, means of putting anybody down. And uh, therefore, what I'm trying to say the subject is a little bit esoteric. Astral projection sounds a little bit like magic, like occult science. And of course we hear a lot about it in yoga as well. So tonight I'm speaking freely about this subject. I did not prepare exactly a special lecture. I'm going to pick up from the workshops which we hold on parapsychology and uh, mostly to explain and to show you how some things are being done. The title of the lecture itself was Astral Projection and Lucid Dreaming. And for many people, the first mystery is what's the difference? If there is astral projection and there is lucid dreaming and there are a few other names, such as out-of-body experience, OOBE, uh, then the question is uh, what's the difference between those two or three or how many there are? And the uh, question, the answer is technically none. The only difference which is, is how you accede to that state. That means what is your entrance gate. Generally, the lucid dreaming, uh, and you'll understand this in a second when I'll try to show you the structure, the way we see it in yoga. The lucid dreaming, you reach to it by falling asleep. And then when you start dreaming in your sleep, you realize that you are dreaming and therefore you become aware in the middle of the dreaming process and you kind of try to keep it up that way. And the astral projection is a phenomenon which is being produced mostly in a wakeful condition. You, one can do astral projection from a relaxation, one can do astral projection by sitting in a special position, in a sitting meditation position, depending very much on the abilities and capabilities of every person. Now. 
for many Western people who are not used with the uh, understanding of yoga, and especially with the understanding of Tantric yoga, like Agama Yoga is one of those, <coughs> because uh, like understanding the human being and the universe has different forms of energy, uh, astral projection is a sort of a phantasmagoric thing. It's like a sort of a daydreaming, it's something which is happening in your brain and then you can put it together with remote viewing. It's a form of clairvoyance. If somebody says that, oh, I'm astral projecting, it basically means that you see yourself flowing along Broadway and you can see every shop. You're like Superman, but in a ghost body or something flowing there. And that's supposed to be something which happens in your brain. And if in this process you can go in the nearby room from this room and see how many pairs of shoes are on the floor and count them, and when you come back to yourself say, well, I actually figured out that there are seven pairs of shoes in the other room, and then somebody really goes physically and checks and there are seven physical pairs of shoes there, it's like this is a sort of remote viewing, telepathic knowledge, like you, it happens in your head, that you see and you do this. The same with the lucid dreaming. Many physiologists believe, uh, and that's what materialistic science claims, that dreaming is a sort of masturbation of the brain. You just accumulate lots of stress, and in the night you dream what you would have done in the day or what you did in the day. If you are an accountant, you dream accounting, accounting, accounting. If you play computer games in the night, you dream computer games, and so on. Like you are discharging lots of what you do in the day goes in the subconscious mind and from there it plays itself out like a sort of broken record, a broken gramophone plate and you have a bit of imagination added to it so you have action based on your frustrations and actions from the daytime. That also does not give, does not grant any real status to the experience. It's like you imagine it. You imagine it and it's like in your head. That's where yoga disagrees from this and generally the occult sciences disagree from this. Let's start therefore <coughs> from the root with the <coughs> actual study of the process. What does it mean? The yogic tradition, considering that the human body, the human being, better said, and the universe are somewhat similar to each other, macrocosm, microcosm, but similar. And in our school we draw it like the universe, like an egg shape sliced in seven slices, and the human being a similar egg shape sliced in seven slices, and they are a copy of each other. This is the universe with the sun and the moon and the galaxies, and this is the human being. So the sun exists here, and then there exists a micro-sun in the human being as well, and those two correspond to each other. This is the great metaphysical theory, not only yoga has it, generally the hermetic tradition, the hermeticism of the East and of the West, both of them uh, share this tenet that human beings are archetypes of the universe, symbols of the universe. And the point there in what I'm saying. That's why whatever I describe for the human being is good for the universe. Whatever I describe for the universe is, is found in the human being. 
both the universe and the human being are made of seven layers, seven different forms of matter and energy, if you want to put it like this. And before we start looking into what astral projection is and lucid dreaming and all the rest, we are looking a little bit, we have to define this in three minutes. The first level of the universe is what we call the physical universe, and that means the sun and the moon and the planets and this room and every physical object and the light which circulates and the electromagnetic waves and the quasars and the pulsars and everything which astronomically exists in this universe is the physical matter and in the human being this means the physical body which means the flesh, blood, bones and every physical thing which you have. Um, this is where the, the communion between metaphysical science and, spirit and uh, official science stops because official science looks only at this. Scientists like crazy with chemistry, physics, astronomy and everything, <coughs> they try to study only this part <coughs> of reality and they think they can find the answer to all the questions in atoms and molecules. And the other opinion is that there exists a reality. Reality is made of energy energy universes, which are wrapping this one, which are parallel to this one. So, after the physical universe, we have the etheric universe and the etheric body, which is the body of prana, of chi, of ki, of mana, of organ, of life force, whatever you choose to call it, and that's this vitality of nature. In the universe, this means that if by an act of magic, you would dematerialize all the physical part of the universe, you would be going like a ghost through a universe of energy. There is a ghost universe superimposed on this one, which is made of energy. And which in which you would say, in this place, there is a vein of energy emanating from the earth, from the aura of the earth, there is like a geyser, like a column of energy, gushing up 30 meters or something like this, which oozes energy. And cats like to sit on this spot, and dogs run away from this spot. And human beings don't know shit about this spot. That's how we relate to them. But it afflicts everybody. So there is a universe of energy, in which when we get out in the sunshine, we get prana from the sun, in which there is energy coming from the earth, and some parts of the earth are good and some parts are not good. And when I build this house on top of the earth, it will modify the telluric energy in this part, and that's the Feng Shui and the Vastu Shastra. How does a building influence the current? Maybe this house uh, can be extremely healing, or maybe it can be extremely uh, damaging. And there are edifices which are unfortunately built, and in which everybody who lives in that apartment in five years dies of cancer and then a new family moves in and they die of cancer and it's like a sort of cursed house. There's nothing cursed about it. It's only that it's built on a very bad spot and the energy in that house is very bad. People don't feel the energy. They just taste the consequences of it. <clears throat> so, in the physical, in the human being, we have a body of energy, of prana, life force, that's what the acupuncture influences with their needles. That's what homeopathy influences with their remedies. We influence the flow of this life force. And we live in a universe of life force. 
And then when you go above it, there is a universe even more subtle, even more refined, as refined to the energy as the energy was to the body. So double refined. And this universe is called in the, in the big world, I'm sorry, it's here, not there. Just to maintain the ratio of the numbers here. This would be the astral universe. And it is called astral because of the relation with the astors, with the astrological things and other things. And it's because that's where the astral travel occurs and there is this feeling of great spaces and freedom and all the rest. We'll get to that. Actually, the astral body in the human being is very much connected with emotions. It is the place where we visualize emotions, sensations. It is the place where you deliberate. It is the place where you have imagination, fantasy, phantasmagoria. This is the place where you are having... Um, um, dreams, this is the place where you go when you die, but just to put it into perspective, where the souls of the dead exist in the astral world, and the list could continue a lot. Above that we have the mental body, a body made of ideas, so it becomes very abstract already. It's ideas and intellect, trends, mind currents, you know, it's like if a billion people believe in I don't know what to say, uh, tolerance or democracy or something, then that becomes like a huge river of energy because a billion minds believe in it. They have that, they are the adepts of that philosophy. If you have another billion of people who believe in the teachings of Islam, then you have another river of energy flowing. So there are big currents, these are the trends, the mega trends the fashions, the all sorts of things which exist in the mind and people uh, absorbing them or not. Then even further up there is the causal body which is considered to be the place of the causes and effects and therefore the place where we start having the roots of events. Like when you fall down and break your leg or when you win the national lottery, it's never a coincidence. It's because of an energy which is there or isn't. And the list could continue. We don't really need to go further. The higher we go, the more it becomes spiritual, immutable, a bit abstract to the intelligence. And the last of these levels, just to mark it to make a sort of difference, the last of these levels, it would be spirit itself, what the Indians call Atma or Atman, the Supreme Self, the higher self of the human being, the answer to the question, who am I? I am not my emotions, I am not my mind, I am not this and that. I am the self, the pure consciousness. Anyhow, now that we finish this, now comes the technology. Now we can explain the technology. These bodies, especially the energy ones, especially as they become more free, because this is a density level. This is dense, this is less dense, this is almost rarefied, this is very rarefied, this is more and more, it's like the higher you go, the more the energy is of a high frequency and it feels like light. It's a little bit like you would have a pot and in it you would have earth and on top of earth you'd have a layer of water and on top of water you'd have a layer of air and on top of air you'd have a layer of void, of cosmic void and I don't know what, then things go like they become thinner and thinner and thinner in terms of density. This is how these universes are considered, right? This is the slowest, the most gross and dense, the dense matter, 
and this is like extremely rarefied. So, the point is in all this uh, that according to all the hermetic traditions, all these traditions which deal with energies and with uh, an energy structure of the universe, these bodies, these structures of energy in the human being, they can act somewhat independently. And while the first two never can separate, the physical and etheric, they, I will show it here as if this were the human being and the universe, because this, this is too small and you might not see in the back there. So I would suppose that this is the human being diagram. So, the first two can never separate. If you separate them, you die instantaneously. If you take the prana away from the body, it becomes a piece of flesh and it's dead. And therefore, the body, the physical body and the prana stay together, but from here up, all these levels, they can separate like the layers of a cake. I could cut through the layers of a cake and peel them off. And therefore, all this ensemble can move away. If you would want a physical illustration of that, we'd have the physical body lying down in bed. That's the classical image of astral projection. The etheric body wrapping it closely because otherwise we die. And whatever comes higher, tied up with a string of energy which is considered to come from the navel chakra, all this astral body, the bigger, I'm representing with red this one here, the astral body and the others, of course, included in it, can move freely, can travel freely, exactly like you have a balloon with a string, with a very elastic string, and it can go here and there. Therefore, they can separate. Question, can others separate? Like, can, for example, we get a separation here? Like, leave even the astral body down and just move up with the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh. Yes, this, once you go at a certain degree of refinement, the freedom becomes very big and almost everything is possible. Can you cut the slice, slice the cake here? Yes, even that is possible. These phenomena, they have names in yoga. While this is astral projection, this is called Manu, uh, Mahavideha Siddhi, and we call it in slang mental projection. This is the Tibetans called Pova, and it's a causal projection. So it is called by the lowest of the bodies which participates to the experience. That's why the astral projection is just a part of a very vast phenomenon, which simply says that the higher energy bodies together with whatever they have in there, they can separate, they can float and they contain in them the germ of consciousness. Your consciousness is here, the I am. And therefore it shines through and therefore whatever contains this is basically is me, that's me. So I am not this, I am this, it feels like this is left down and I am here, I am not here. I can look down on my body, and my body is lying in bed, and I'm floating somewhere under the roof. No? So, but I am here, not here. Although I feel that that is mine, I identify with this one, not with that one. So what is happening in technical terms is not only that these energy bodies change, uh, they can separate and move and do things, 
but it is also the fact that my consciousness shifts. In daily life, everybody thinks that I am this. This is who you feel you are, the physical body, I am this. <coughs> but in the astral projection, the awareness moves from here to here. There is a shift in awareness. When you dream, this is happening automatically, like it's a skill which we know since forever, because we do it all the time. Only that in the sleep, we do it involuntarily, we don't know how it happens, it just happens to us. And uh, we don't have sometimes, not only that we don't have control, but we actually do not have memory. Physiology shows that every person dreams same amount. Two people in this room taken into a laboratory will demonstrate exactly the same amount of dreaming every night. And yet one of the persons says, oh yeah, I dream a lot, I remember a lot. And the other person says, I don't remember a thing. I never dream. I dream like, I sleep like a log. The fact that you don't remember doesn't say that it doesn't happen. It happens, but you have no awareness of it. So to remember your dreams is to have a channel open to that world. It means that at least as remembrance and some information is coming from there to you. That's something, but of course it's not the whole thing. It's still a good skill, and when we do astral projection experiments, and if we'll have the time tonight, let's see how this goes, I intend to make a short experiment, then um, we, again I'm saying, then we can see exactly where the differences are between different people and so on. <clears throat> it was a very significant thing, that um, Rafale said that that's one of her favorite subjects because indeed some people in this world are more astrally prone and some people are not so astrally prone. And uh, as, a, as a simple rule, as a, um, let's call it uh, a simplified rule here, where people are... Um, a simple observation, that's what I wanted to say, a simple uh, practical observation says that these levels correspond to the elements of the universe, to the chakras from yoga. There is a long story. I won't go there except occasionally. I told you about the navel chakra here and we'll get more into that. And therefore the order of the elements is the lowest element is earth, the second element is water, the third element is fire, the fourth element is air, the fifth element is ether, and so on. The sixth element is mind, and then of course spirit. And therefore the astral body is characterized by fire. And the simple observation from daily life in spirituality says that people who have lots of fire, they have more astral awareness. If somebody would ask me, in your opinion, what do you think makes the difference between people who remember their dreams a lot and they have lots of dreams and they have some astral abilities and they have had even accidentally, occasionally, some astral projection and people who don't? My simple answer would be the fire. I would always expect that people who have lots of fire, they naturally and spontaneously have astral phenomena. And why did I tell you that story implying Rafale in it? Because she's an Aries and that's a fire sign classically in astrology and she's a fiery one. And therefore fiery people have a special attraction towards astral projection. Uh, 
sometimes, for example, earthy people, they say, I don't dream anything. No? If you are earth, then you might not dream. Not always. It doesn't depend so simple about what astrological sign you are. Astrology is not at all simple like that. But I'm trying to give a sort of simplified grid of understanding here. So, the, why, why do the fire people would have more of this? It's like they are more used to go into that consciousness. Shifting to that consciousness is more easy to them. It's like there are people you know, that there are people who are all the time very present. That is a big word, but okay, let's keep it like this. And then there are people who daydream all day long. You leave them, they are on planet Venus suddenly. They are gone. A, de a daydreaming person is a person whose consciousness doesn't stay in the physical world and in the physical body, but shifts and then moves. Daydreaming is, after all, a form of mental projection. Your mind, it's not an astral projection, it's a mental projection. That's why I didn't want to include it directly as, a, as an allusion, to, as a similarity to this. So, let us get back to our main uh, line. Yes, it is possible to separate the astral body all and all those from the lower two, and this is not a big skill, remember. It happens all the time. You do it every night when you sleep. If you are having some very strong deliriums or fantasy travels, imagination, like you are completely gone and people come and shake you and you say, oh, what, uh, oh, I was not here, this can show that your consciousness easily flips from the physical body to another body, number three or number four, it depends. Uh, it's very difficult to explain to people who have never been into these technicalities of yoga what the difference would be. The astral projection is more dense, it's more fluid, like when you, when you go in your astral body, it's almost like you brush again along the walls and the landscape. It's like everything is more creamy, more dense, you can feel the energies, like you are going through a sort, it's exactly like you'd go through a place and suddenly you go by a furnace or something and you'd fly. Imagine that you physically fly like Superman and you pass by a pizza oven. And as you pass by the pizza oven, you get hit by the heat from the oven and by the smell of pizza. You kind of feel it, it's organic. While, for example, if you move your mind, you don't feel it. It's much more abstract. You know that that's an oven which is hot and it's, uh, there's a pizza in it, but you don't feel it. The astral projection is more creamy, more dense, more low in sensations, which makes it a bit more accurate in some ways, but also more dangerous, more exposed. There are countless authors who claim that the astral projection can be dangerous. I'm not trying to scare you from researching this. You just need to know the right terms. Because the astral projection is very much like a, a dream. And you ask yourself, what can be dangerous in a dream? Did you ever have a nightmare? And I mean a real nasty nightmare. One from which you woke up with your heart thumping like this and soaked in sweat. Well, that's what's unpleasant. When you had such a nightmare, you were in the astral world in your dream, but you were in an area which is comparable to hell. 
you made an astral projection in hell. And there were demons and all sorts of dangerous entities chasing you, trying to harm you, and you're scared out of your mind and so on. How do people project to hell? Either they have resonance with hell from a previous life, like they did black magic, witchcraft, sold their soul to the devil, or whatever they did, or they are in a very bad shape. They are very depressed, very negative. They ate a big meal before. They are sleeping on their belly and their energy is really, really low and negative. And then you feel like you are getting eaten by crocodiles or God knows what's happening in your nightmares. And therefore, uh, astral projection, because it interacts so much with you, does it interact? Sure. Try to think about a sex dream, an erotic dream. You have a sex dream, and if you are a young boy, you ejaculate. It makes you have a wet dream. Does it interact with you? Sure. If it makes you have a wet dream, could it make you have a heart attack? It could. And therefore, some people in the middle of an astral projection, if they got scared out of their wits, they would have a heart attack, especially if their body is decayed, you know, if they are having lots of heart problems. And the dream, their astral experience, which is like a dream, especially if they don't control it and they don't master it, it can take them in a place where it becomes over the top and then you can have an accident. That's why we have to say from the beginning, astral projection is a bit of a dangerous toy if you take it in the wrong places. Because again, when you make astral projections in hell, it's not very safe, it's not very good. With the mental projection than others, there's no problem because you go, you are more detached. It's like you go on a higher level and you become more like a spectator. You can see, but you don't feel the heat of the oven. It doesn't, you are not interacting so much with things. You are like an intelligence that sees, evaluates, you are witnessing. You are like on a study trip, but you don't interact with things. So, of course, going on an astral level can have advantages because you cannot have an erotic experience on the mental level as intense as you have it on the astral level. Any one of you wants to have astral sex, you have to go in the astral body. That's where it happens. You have to have this creamy thing happening, this thick energy flowing. If you go in the astral, in the mental body, then again, everything gets one step more abstract, one step more detached. And that's why, yes, people sometimes love the astral projection, but remember that it is somewhere on the borderline. It can produce effects. Uh, there are many other things which you do not suspect, and I maybe I'll get to touch them in tonight's lecture. Let's see where this goes and where your questions go and all the rest. <clears throat> that is why the whole art in astral projection is actually how to go outside of the body without any impunity, with impunity, like not getting hurt in the process. I would like to say that probably 99% of the astral projections that human beings do, voluntarily, involuntarily, are totally harmless, like nothing happens. The risk is overrated in some books, and it's used like a boogeyman, attention, don't do this, be careful, and so on. Probably it's better, you know, like if you have a huge scandal, a huge thing with a flu virus that, oh my God, the flu has killed, guess how many, 17 people. 
Right, and in Thailand every year there die 4,000 people because of coconuts falling on their head. So the coconuts are hundreds of times more dangerous than the flu in Thailand, you know. First they should cut off the, all the coconuts near the roads and then take care of the flu because the flu is minor compared to the coconuts, not to mention malaria and dengue fever and all the other big things. So you can overrate it, you can overdrive it, <coughs> scaring people, and maybe there is a purpose to it, like to say, well, there is no room for amateurism at this, but nevertheless, uh, again, there is an exaggeration there. So, <clears throat> the whole point is not to separate. The separation is happening. But when you separate the two bodies, two things will happen. Either you won't be able to follow, and then what, what will happen is that you'll fall asleep, simply, like the separation happens. Every time when you separate, you fall asleep and then you start dreaming. That's a reflex of your brain. Your brain is not used to be a bit here and a bit there. It's like either you are here or if you go there, you fall asleep. And then you don't have the same consciousness which you have now. There is a consciousness in your dreams, but it's like a different type of person. And therefore, um, the whole problem is how to stay conscious. Like to separate is not, everybody can separate. Go home and sleep. Then you separate. It's the separation is not a big trick. The, the big trick is how to stay conscious while it's happening. We in yoga, and you can see it, we do some advanced relaxation in this style of yoga in Agama Yoga. And almost every time it happens that people fall asleep. You know, people are tired, they work 8, 9, 10 hours per day, they are stressed out, they come to yoga, and then, you know, they didn't sleep last night because they wanted to watch a good movie until 1 o'clock in the night, or because they wanted to stay with friends. And people push the envelope, of course, and then they come to yoga, they are wasted completely. You, you put them in a relaxation position, 3 minutes later, necessarily, you hear, you know, somebody has gone already. This way, as yoga teachers, we know. It happens all the time. And it happens because people go in the astral world. They are very eager to go, to get rid and just go in the astral world. But they can't do it consciously. They cross the threshold and at the same time they black out. So, this is actually the whole problem. How to put together dreaming with wakefulness. That's why it's been called lucid dreaming. You dream... You are in astral projection, and yet your mind is like now. Your mind says, oh gosh, I'm dreaming. This is a dream. And therefore, to reach there, there are several methods. Uh, some people who discovered the lucid dreaming, they thought they discovered a big, big novel thing. And then they realized slowly, slowly, that it was just the same astral projection, but starting from the other end of the process. So... With lucid dreaming, here I can only recommend that there is so much research, there is so much written about it. Do your homework and look, look into it. Like, which are the methods for you to remember that you are dreaming? There are methods which simply mean forming a reflex in your consciousness, in which every five minutes you are supposed to stop and ask yourself, Am I dreaming? Is this a dream? No? What's happening right now? And if you do it many times enough, you'll start doing it in the night, automatically. It would become an automatism. 
And then in your dreams, when you ask yourself, am I dreaming? The answer sometimes will be, well, actually, yes. And then there will be a sort of a revolution inside your head, which first times will wake you up, like it will spoil the whole fun. But then when you learn to do it again and again, you will learn to stay in this twilight zone. There is a twilight zone there, and there is an art. It's like riding a bicycle. You have to stand right in the middle, not to fall to the left, not to fall to the right. <clears throat> if you fall to the left, you fall asleep and black out in your dream. And if you fall to the right, you wake up start with a startle, and you say, ah, exactly when I became lucid in my dream, I had to wake up. You know, it's like I spoiled it. I became too eager, and somehow I woke myself up. That's because your mind is not used with this. It, for your mind is black or white. Are you awake or are you asleep? And this hybrid consciousness is very strange and very unnatural in the beginning and you have to learn it. It's a matter of clumsiness. So how, how do you do that? There are so many methods I wouldn't even know where to start from. Like when I reach, when I teach in a workshop, in a parapsychology workshop, we have so met, so many methods are only within lucid dreaming, that you put an alarm clock to ring at different hours, they have the lucid dreamer where it blinks light in your eyes when you have REM, all kinds of vibrating machinery that you put on your wrist and it makes bzz, 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 and it's just gentle enough to see me wake you up, but not to wake you up completely. So much stuff has been produced and so much. Two friends help each other. One is sleeping, and the other one looks, watches. And when this guy is dreaming, which you can see from the flickering of the eyelids, and then you kind of ring a bell, gently, not very hard. And then the person hears the bell in their sleep, and if, they, if it's not too violent, then the person realizes, whoa, this is my friend Walter ringing the bell, you know? And kind of, I know, oh, so I'm dreaming right now. I'm doing a laboratory experiment with him. Sometimes it will <coughs> wake you up, and spoil the whole thing, but sometimes it will work, and the more you do it, the more it works. And therefore, I won't even dare to go now into the field of how to do lucid dreaming. There are so many books written about this, there are gadgets, there are all sorts of methods of entering there, and you can do yourself this research. The point is that when you do lucid dreaming, you are entering into the astral body. However, be, please be informed that the sleep of the human being is not only going at the level of the astral body. When I teach about Yoga Nidra, because these methods are called Nidra Yoga, it's a mystical concept in India that uh, Vishnu, the creator of the universe, is sleeping on the primordial ocean on his snake, and then from the belly button of Vishnu there comes out a lotus flower and Brahma is there and Brahma creates the universe. And Vishnu, who sleeps before the universe existed, in the night of Brahma, in the break between two universes, Vishnu is, or in the pralaya, as it is called in Sanskrit, Vishnu is in a sort of sleep, but it's not an unconscious sleep. It is a conscious sleep, and that's why it's not called Svapna or Sushupti or any other of the names used in India, it's called Nidra, and Nidra means a sort of sleeping and yet being awake. This concept 
has been known so many times. All the shamans, one of the shamanic tricks for good shamans, for the big successful shamans, was this, to go in the dream world and there to be able to do some things. No? And most people, when they go in the dream world, they can't do some things. Some people say, last night I think I had a lucid dream. I woke up in the middle of my... So what did you do? Like if you are in a lucid dream, you theoretically can fly to Mars. You can do a million things. Why don't you do something interesting? You know, like you have the opportunity to have the coolest experience of the year, you know? Uh, it didn't cross my mind, you know? It's like, right, so this is the lack of initiative. This is the lack of volition. This is the lack of freedom, which I'm talking about. And different teachers have come up with things, like Carlos Castaneda, who picked up some of these shamanic things from the Mexican shamans, from the North American shamans, claims that his uh, teacher, Don Juan Matus, told him that the first thing to do is that you should see your hands in the dream. Like, in your dream, stop and say, I want to look at my own hands and see them, see your dream hands. And that's a symbol, because if you can do that, then you can fly to Mars. It means that you can do things deliberately, something of your choice. But most people who wake up in the dreams, they have a strange feeling that the dream is somehow lucid, and oh, this must be a dream. But meanwhile, the dream continues with a sort of momentum of its own. And at the best, you can play a little bit with the dream, exactly like you are a filmmaker, and say, now I would like to see myself like James Bond, with a pair of skis and jumping, you know? And you see yourself with a pair of skis and hopping and so... And you can change the dream, it's like you dream what you want, but it's still a little bit stupid because you still keep on dreaming out of inertia, out of a certain momentum. It's like you don't stop and say, no, 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 I want to go and see Thomas, the Apostle of Christ, you know, where is Apostle Thomas in the astral world? Or I would like to fly to Mars and see if there are any spirits on Mars or something, you know. You don't really get out of a pattern, you are still blocked, you are still stuck in your neck with a needle and you are like half zombie in there. So the whole problem is how to get your initiative there, how to start doing things there. That's the second problem after you gain some awareness. The awareness is not so difficult to get and uh, always when we teach, we teach to people that it's very much a matter of motivation. For example, I always when I teach Nidra Yoga in our yoga classes, because again the yogis have a methodology for this and I'm going to talk about this very soon, whenever we teach this, uh, I'm telling to people the most important thing to get started on a program for this is to have a dream diary. If you don't write your dreams every night, your subconscious mind will not close a feedback loop and you will not get clear dreams. It would be almost impossible. It would be a very interesting experiment for the next season take all the old pupils and to see how many of them actually has a dream diary. Daily, a daily, a correctly made dream diary. Probably less than 10%, which simply says that most people are not even interested. Like they hear about the astral projection, lucid dreaming, but then they have other fish to fry. They have other things to do. It's like, okay, it's interesting. Oh, astral projection, yeah, sounds thrilling, you know. Do something for it. Start having a daily dream diary. 
Because when you write them down and remember them, this tells to your brain that you want more, 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 and it's a feedback. It's a positive feedback reinforcement, and it works just like this. And uh, that is why I'm saying here that there are many things, but the question is how determined one is to go there. How decided one is. I personally consider that this lucid dreaming slash astral projection it is also very much a karmic thing because the people who had it they were already like dead. And there is a Zen proverb which says he who dies before dying dies no more when dying. If you manage to reach there in the lifetime then you know you are not a physical body. You know that there exists life in the other universe. You know that you can exist in your astral body and fly and do things. So your fear of death disappears almost completely. You know that there is life beyond death. You know that there are multiple lives and reincarnation because you meet with your grandmother and other spirits from previous lives and so on. And then you know. So actually to reach astral projection it's a big thing, evolutionary speaking. It means a big karmic step for karmically most mortals can't even dream about going there. And that's why, unfortunately, this has a blockage to it. Like, yes, everybody hears about astral projection, everybody says, how interesting, I will try, I'll buy a book on lucid dreaming and do, and mm -hmm. then one year later, they didn't do. So that's the problem. The problem is that this one, like any other thing, takes perseverance, and it's a bit of an uphill struggle, because you are fighting to become better and to increase your level of awareness. And this is not coming downhill. It's not something which comes naturally. You sit and turn into a couch potato and you reach a higher consciousness. It doesn't work that way. You have to have a higher level of consciousness. There are people who are blessed with it from their birth. Like Robert Monroe was like this. But Robert Monroe could do astral projections since he remembered. Since the age of five, he could get out of his body and fly through the universe and meet with all sorts of spirits and have experiences. And therefore, such a person came with it from a previous life. But normal people, they must make an evolutionary leap. For normal people, this is a big progress. It's a big reframing of the whole life. It, it would mean a severe transformation of one's consciousness to be able to currently do astral projection. So don't minimize it, because the astral projection for most people, it's a bridge too far. It's simply a bridge too far, like, yeah, we talk about it, but no, how many people actually do it? I met one person, one yogi, a Vedantic yogi, who had studied in India and who was, he was a Westerner, <coughs> who had reached uh, high levels of astral projection, and in his opinion, astral projection was this close to Nirvikalpa Samadhi, to high forms of Samadhi. He said, if you have reached astral projection, from there it's like this, to go into real high states of consciousness. And so he considered astral projection like 85% of, of the path. If you have done astral projection, you are 85% of the path is covered. You have a little bit more and you have reached enlightenment. So therefore it's not quite such a small accomplishment. We do it every night, it's right under our noses, but it teases us a lot. It's not easy to do that because it basically means that you get used 
to a level of existence which is outside of your body, which is non-corporeal. Like you learn to live without a physical body. And that would make that in a while your physical body won't even be necessary. No? If you can live without it. That's why many people when they want to do astral projection, they have some qualms about it. It is possible to do astral projection by taking some psychedelic substances, some of them pretty harmless, like the ayahuasca from the Amazon, a mixture of two plants which flips you out of the body. The, the Spaniards have called it the liana, the creeper of the treasure hunters, because the shamans from, North, from South America, they used it to go out of the body and fly through the jungle and find whatever they want, dive underwater, go in the earth, cross through trees and so on. And, okay, so some people can do that. Every time they would take ayahuasca, they would be outside of the body. Well, then why not take it every day? Well, why don't you try to take it every day to see what's happening? Because then it's not, nothing bad is happening, but you feel totally wasted. Like afterwards somebody invites you and says, would you like tomorrow to have another trip? Give me a break. I think I need at least 10 days to recharge my batteries, no? It's like astral projection, either induced psychedelically or... It's not that easy. It's like we need a certain momentum, you know? We need a certain energy of it. And after we do it, like, whoa, you know? It's like we need to digest a little bit. And that's why when people go much, 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 much in that astral projection... They transcend the levels of humanity. I signal to some people this video, the yogis of Tibet, where they interview an old man, a Tibetan Lama, who did all this and who was known to be really gigantic and he was really dismissive and he didn't want to talk and to say any detail. And they kept on asking him. And then this Lama looked at them and he said, you look at me and you see me like a human being because I have a human body. But from where I stand, it's long, long time ago since I'm not a human being anymore. No. He was whatever else, a dragon, a god, or something. He didn't feel like he was a human being anymore. That's why I say, these things are bringing us to an edge which is very mystical because they change the condition, the existential condition of the human being. Everybody goes in the astral body when they die. The dead are living in the astral body. They lost the physical body, they lost the second body, and they just have the astral body. It's like an astral projection from where you don't return. It's like your final astral projection is when you die. And the question is, when you'll die, will you manage to do it consciously? Or will you lose awareness and then drift, like you do in a dreams, and dream for 300 years? Will you be able in the astral world to choose, to do, to deliberately look at your hands and fly to Mars? Or will you be like a zombie doing accounts or playing computer games or whatever, repeating stupidly what you did in the physical life, mechanically, because that's where your subconscious mind is. And I'm telling you all these things because I would like, first of all, before we discuss about the technology and the technical things, for people to understand the challenge. The astral projection is a big challenge. If, if you die before dying, you die no more when dying. This is the, the deal of it. And that is why 
uh, again, if you really want to go into this, use your willpower, use your self-discipline, take a one-year program, take a three-year program, you know, like really do it by the book, exactly as you want to take a PhD in some science or something, every day you have to allot a time to study it and to do it, because it changes your vibration, it changes your existential condition. Robert Monroe, after a life of astral projection, he writes in his book a warning, a very clear warning, and he said, if you do astral projection, for most people you will become a freak. For most people you will become a total weirdo, because you are not one of them. You don't share the same ignorance which they do, and subconsciously they can feel. You talk about things from the astral worlds, and you travel to other planets, and God knows, and even if you don't speak about them, people subconsciously feel that you are made of a different material already. And that's why the astral projection truly is either for people who have shamanic or magic inclinations, and they want to exert their spiritual power imperatively in that direction, and then my advice is, Go and study with a good shaman. There still are a few good shamans on this planet. Most of the others, they have bank accounts and internet accounts and so on. But there are still some who don't and who do the shamanism the old way. And they might accept you as disciples. And if you want to use it as a spiritual tool, then in yoga, practice yoga nidra and all the other things and develop it. Yoga nidra <coughs> tells us that during the sleep of the human being, the human being is not only at the level of the dreams, and therefore we actually do a deeper projection there, and that's why our sleep is not continuous. Always when teaching the Yoga Nidra, I call to people the attention of the students onto the fact that the levels of sleep in Indian Yoga the levels of consciousness, which are the other way than this, exactly the other way around, like higher is lower, is deeper. And there are four levels of consciousness, which called Jagrat, which is wakefulness, and Svapna, which is dream, and Sushupti, which is deep sleep without dreams, like a swoon, and finally the Turiya, the fourth state, which is the actual cataleptic state, the state of void. And as you sleep, as you go through your sleep, you are going from Jagra to Svapna, from Svapta to Sushupti, sometimes to Turiya, back, back, dreaming for a period of time, and then, not that either you wake up or you fall again into a deep sleep and maybe some, some Turiya and some more dreams. So there are cycles of sleep of about two hours every night, and therefore, here, at the level of dream, this is the level of dream, let's make it with red again, this is what you get. So even in a night where you do the Nidra Yoga, in case you didn't get that word and you want to Google it, here it is. Nidra, the Nidra Yoga you are getting moments of awareness with patches of discontinuity. Like you wake up in the middle of a dream, there is something happening, you may have a part of control or not, and then 15 minutes later, you lost it. 
because you went deeper and you can't follow at that level. And that is why the sleep is actually a very, very interesting mechanism because the sleep gets us used to the astral world. The sleep is a taste of the afterlife, is an appetizer to the afterlife. And in sleep we go even deeper than that, and that's why in sleep you can reach even higher consciousness. That's why sometimes we tell to our pupils that Nidra Yoga is the yogic method for reaching lucid dreaming or astral projection. And it's not completely true, because Nidra Yoga is also the method of going deeper than your dreams into the Sushupti and into the Turiya, and therefore it's the method of reaching Samadhi in your dreams. It's the method of reaching a higher consciousness. But then, you have to go beyond the lucid dreaming. Lucid dreaming is just a step if you go to the astral body. And many people are so tempted. They say, whoa, if I could go in the astral world, I would roam and roam and see everything. And that's exactly the problem. You'd roam too much and you'd waste your time. Because the evolution has to be done this way, not that way. And therefore, the astral projection is at the same time a very important evolutionary step and at the same time is a big trap because if you stop there you don't see what's deeper and for many people this is a big problem they ask how do we go deeper let's say we can catch some lucid dreaming what comes next from lucid dreaming like what do you do to go to the next level to the sushupti what's the next level how does it feel like to go in a higher thing than the astral projection. And I always tell to people what I'm going to tell you tonight. If ever any one of you wakes up in your dreams and you are conscious enough to do deliberately whatever you want, I have two proposals, two ideas, two suggestions for you. One, start flying vertically like a rocket. Don't fly like Superman, like this. Try to fly straight to the top of your head like a rocket, up into the universe and see how far you can reach. And you are going to have a very strange surprise of what's happening then. And the second thing is, try doing yoga in your dreams. For example, in your dreams you can stand on your head for super long durations of time, which physically won't be able because your neck, your back, your something. Try to do a headstand in the, your dreams, or to use a mantra, or to do the prayer of the heart, or to do something in your dreams like a technique, if you really have control over yourself there and you can really do something deliberate. So, <clears throat> for beginners, the Nidra Yoga methods are excellent. You can learn that in our yoga classes, we teach them even to the beginners because we want to give to everybody the chance that they could do it. And uh, with this, I have been talking very much about astral projection under the form of lucid dreaming. Like how to conquer it from the world of the dreams, to wake up in the dreams. And I could say so much more. And in a yogic way, what I would like also to add, a simple technical understanding is this. The higher your level of consciousness is, the more easy you are going to do astral projection. That means the average person on this planet has a level of consciousness on the second chakra. That's 75% of the people are on the second chakra. 
and 15% of the people, the next large number, are probably on the navel chakra. And that makes 90% of the population. And a very, very, very small number of people have a level of consciousness on Anahata chakra, and those are considered like saints, like unusually spiritual people. And that is why, please remember this as a rule of thumb, when you go higher in your consciousness, you naturally become aware in your dreams. It's even if you don't make any Nidra Yoga, even if you don't make any uh, effort, you have it. That's why this has been known in other cultures. For example, Saint Teresa of Avila, a Spanish Roman Catholic saint, she never studied yoga, she never studied shamanism, she never studied Nidra Yoga, and yet she reported that in her dreams, she was going to the gates of hell and she was praying for the people from hell and from time to time she hooked souls out of hell with the past. That's what she did her nights. She didn't sleep like every Tom, Dick and Harry. She went to hell and tried to hook souls out of hell. And for 35 years she's been ill in bed. Because you have to pay when you want to take somebody out of hell. You have to be prepared to pay their karma, because they are in hell with a purpose. And therefore, if you are willing to take their karma and to suffer for them, which of course is very unfair, because they did shit and you are suffering, but if you have that much compassion, then you can go and save people from hell, if you are ready to do that. See, St. Teresa of Avila was having lucid dreaming, and she was doing astral projection, and she knew how to go in her dreams to the gates of hell, and she could do prayer, and she had a very deliberate purpose, and it had a huge effect on her life, and she never learned astral projection. Why? Because she had a high level of consciousness. Through her prayer, through her devotion, through her practices, she had reached a very high level already, and then it was natural for her to see all these things. That's why remember that the fact that we don't remember and the fact that we can't do it shows that our level of consciousness in daily life, not when we meditate. We can meditate for 30 minutes and have a very nice experience and then when we come back, we come back still in the second chakra or something. And then when we sleep in the daily life, we won't see astral things, we will not have the perception of the astral body. And that is... Uh, therefore, another very important thing to realize that this is related to the level of consciousness. When you try to go in the astral body, you get a higher level of consciousness. When you have a higher level of consciousness, you automatically see or have phenomena in the astral body. That's why many mystics and clairvoyants and seers discovered these things automatically, even if they were not taught. Suddenly they realized that now they can see this, now they can perceive that, and so on. So, when we get back to the astral projection, astral projection means you can do that in the daily life. And I'm going to give you a very simple hint about how many teachers in astral projection say you could do it. Astral projection feels, please remember this always, like a very vivid imagination. It's a sort of a fantasy travel. So if you can imagine that you get out of this street and float along Broadway and you reach at every... you remember Broadway with Maine 
Broadway with Camby, Broadway with Oak, Broadway with Barard. Like you see them in the order. You really know where every shop is, where the chapter's shop is, and where the whatever. You know, you see them. You, you fly like Superman, like a ghost, and it's a sort of imaginary travel. That imaginary travel, after one year of practice, becomes astral projection. It's as simple as that. Therefore, you have to develop your power of visualization and imagination to a very special degree, and this can be done only if you do it every day. And therefore, the astral projection, the, not the lucid dreaming. The lucid dreaming says you fall asleep and the projection is done through the power of nature. It always happens because you don't make any effort to go there. And then your effort is to stay aware while you are there, to remember, to wake up while it's happening. The astral projection is the other way around. You stay aware because you are aware, you start from wakefulness, and you separate the astral body by using a powerful imagination. Alistair Crowley, for example, who was not a very pure person, but who really handled well some of the occult methods, he describes a method like this. You imagine in front of you a wall with a sliding door, vertical sliding door, like in science fiction movies, and you are in a darker room, and there is a lot of light on the other side of that sliding door. And then you visualize yourself and the door is a little bit higher than you, like a normal room. And then you visualize that the sliding door opens and there is light coming through that, and you imagine that you fly through that light in that other room, and behind you the sliding door closes. And then you feel like you are six meters away from your body. You feel you are there. You feel you are floating there in the corner of the room. You know that you are sitting here, but at the same time you have the very strange feeling that you are there. That's how you do astral projection. It's a pretty primitive but direct method of astral projection. The whole story is how to lose awareness of your physical body and how to move your awareness to the astral body. So many things have been done. For example, one of the most simple methods is rocking, rocking chairs or something. You just go like this, and you go like this until you get a certain dizziness. Also the swings for children, that's why children love swings. Whenever you go into a swing, this feeling actually produces a small astral projection. There is astral projection in the roller coasters, in the Tivolis. There is astral projection when you drive too fast, illegally fast. There is astral projection when you are in a super fast elevator. There is astral projection when you are on an airplane or looping in acrobatic aircraft. That's why people get a bit addicted to that. There is this feeling of drunkenness, of separation. You feel some things. And of course, people don't know it's astral projection, but this dizziness is coming from there. So in astral projection, you try to produce this dizziness. Like you sit in a position and then... Imagine you are going, you know, and you can imagine that you are going into the end of this room and move along that wall and come back here, you know, like your astral body projects. It goes and moves and comes. In actual fact, and people who can see, they would see. And that's why the whole story is how to 
shift the awareness and at the same time, of course, not to fall asleep because I can put myself in a hammock or in a rocking chair and rock and rock myself into numbness, into this pleasant dizziness and at the same time I fall asleep, I become drowsy and fall asleep and that's because my brain is used that every time when I cross that line I also lose awareness. So then I have to restart again, put some cold water over my head and again restart the process and say no, I'm not going to fall asleep anymore. You fall asleep hundreds of times, believe me. It's like a tease, it just goes again and again and again and again and then finally one day you make it. In India the yogis had methods much more sophisticated than this. Like one method which they had, which they used a lot, was to slow down your breath. They did the famous Samavriti Pranayama, the square Pranayama, and they slowed down the breath. Like how many seconds or how many heartbeats you can hold your breath. And when they said, and I can tell you openly, they said that when you can breathe lower than 12, 12, 12, like 12 heartbeats for every portion of your, which is very slow, you can never breathe that slow, but if you go beyond 12, 12, 12, which takes at least a year of exercise, then suddenly you'll be flipped out and you would be finding yourself in a... People who tried this, they discovered that first you fall asleep. When you slow down your, your heartbeat so much in your breath, then you start dozing in the middle of those yoga things. And therefore there is a struggle here, and the struggle is to have this hybrid consciousness. Consciousness in the physical world, like this kind of consciousness, and at the same time consciousness in a dream world. Even when you reach there, the astral projection feels surreal in some way, because many people, we have people, you know, who go into meditation and they have a real good meditation, and at some point by using a mantra or something, we use a lot of mantras because we're a tantric school, and therefore, and people find themselves out, and they say, something really strange happened. It's like I had the very strange feeling that I was asleep, and yet I know for sure that I was not asleep, because I know what happened every second, and still it felt like I was sleeping. This is it. It's consciousness in svapna, in a state which is like a state of dream. And it can be developed with meditation, with parapsychological methods, with the lucid dreaming methods coming from the other side. And that's why here we have a big, 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 big range of measures, of, of methods. When I'm teaching the parapsychological workshop, I'm even teaching to people strange methods, like the watcher method. You make a ball of astral energy starting from your Manipura chakra, like a mushroom growing from your navel chakra, and then that sphere, you send it and it comes back to you like a balloon, like a kite tied with an inextensible string to your belly button chakra, and it goes a thousand miles away and then it comes back and it brings you feelings, information, subconscious knowledge, and then you can make that shape be like a human being, and then you project your consciousness into it, and stuff like this. So there exist magic methods, there exist witchcraft methods, there exist psychedelic methods, there exist breathing methods, there exist concentration of the mind methods. That means in yoga we have a range, and some of them are not from yoga but we have a big range. The yogis were very 
aware of these things. There were, for example, both, especially in Tibet, but in India also, and I have read about this in the Fathers of the Desert, Christian mystics from Palestine and Egypt as well, you read examples about mystics who walled themselves into a room. So they basically went into a room, they walled the entrance with bricks, they had just a window this big, and people gave them food without talking to them or anything. They lived in absolute darkness, in a room without windows, just in a cave-like, and they received a meager amount of food every day or every two days, some of them every week or something, depending on the... No? So, like, what do you do when you are locked in darkness? I mean, this is way worse than solitary confinement in a prison, in a high-security prison. We are talking about not being locked in a room with anybody, but being locked in a place where you can't move, like the room is really small, and it's completely dark. So you can't do anything, you can't even look at the, your fingerprints, you know, you can't do a thing. And therefore, either you go crazy, which is of course the danger if you go there without authorization, without your teacher telling you that you can go there, and if you don't go crazy, then you start going astral projection all the time. Your mind starts moving like crazy simply because your mind needs some activity and you are like hindering it. And such people are supposed to go all over the world and help and be compassionate, be like invisible spiritual guides. Their physical body is in a cave in Tibet and their astral body is flying all over the place and they are doing things. These are some of the big yogis. Some people contest it and they say, ah, these people, they would better get out of their cave and help us with some of the problems of the daily life. It's, it, this is a shared opinion because some people say, you know what, we have enough people to take care of the daily life. Let some people do some of the spiritual things because they are good there. We need some of those people as well. So, uh, again, but for those people, there is a huge transformation of consciousness again. So methods, there are so many methods, you know, lock yourself into a cave and either you go crazy or you reach astral projection, no? Uh, that is why I say we are not short of methods. We are short of people who are determined to go there because, you see, in the old days, people thought that astral projection is amazing. Like, Immanuel Swedenborg traveled in his astral body to Mars and Venus and Jupiter and Saturn and described the psychic life, the spirits on those planets and incredible stuff like science fiction in 1780 or 1775. Amazing stuff. Then today, when you can go to the video shop and rent three science fiction movies and see all sorts of stuff, it's like people are not curious anymore. It's, we don't have like, wow, you know, what would it be to, you know? You just rent a well-made science fiction movie with good effects and it kind of kills your natural curiosity. So this secular society with its materialistic pleasures has taken away from people the curiosity of exploring some of the subtle things. And only the people who are really bored and fed up with this world, then they say, you know what, I'm trying to see something else. I'd like to talk to the angels, I'd like to commune with the spirits of nature, I'd like to go in incredible places, I'd like to experience this and that, 
and then everybody else thinks you are nuts, you are crazy. It's like, you know, you could have rented a video film and had a nice evening and you just want to go in your astral body or mental body or something like this. So, uh, to make a synthesis, please remember, lucid dreaming methods, Yoga Nidra methods. Unfortunately, I have to report that Yoga Nidra in eight schools out of ten is taught just as an advanced method. That simply means they don't tell you that Yoga Nidra is a method for conscious sleep and that means for astral projection. They say Yoga Nidra is good for the heart. You are all very stressed out and you do a wonderful yoga relaxation and experiments in laboratory have demonstrated it's healthy for the heart that is like you would use a tape recorder to hammer nails into a wall. You can use a tape recorder to, as a hammer, but it's much more high-tech than that. It's meant for a better cause than to use it as a hammer. It's a pity to use it as a hammer. No, Yoga Nidra is, can be used for relaxing and having better heartbeats, but it's made for something else. It's made for the invisible exploration of the universe, in the astral world. And that's why if you learn Nidra Yoga correctly, the accurate Nidra Yoga, then you can practice on that as well. And that is coming from the side of the lucid dreaming more. And, and if you want the out-of-body experience and the astral projection, you follow the methods thereof. Be warned on the fact that some of the books of astral projection and uh, um, out-of-the-body experience are written by people who are born with that capacity and because of this they write like silly nerds because they simply don't understand what it takes for a normal person to do that. Robert Monroe, who did astral projection since he was five, in his, in his book, which is a cult classic, Journeys Out of the Body, Robert Monroe says, you just lie down, you relax, you kind of close your eyes, and then, in your mind, you turn on your right side, not physically, just in your mind, in your imagination, while your body stays like this, you turn on one side, and then you are out of the body, because your body is here, and you, in your feeling, have turned on the right side or on the left side. You know how many people have tried this trick? Millions, probably. You know how many people succeeded? Probably a handful. This is the problem, because these people, Robert Monroe thought that if he does this and it works, it will work for everybody else. And it doesn't, unfortunately. Because normal people have much more blockages in awareness, shifting, concentration of the mind, purity of their astral body, detachment from their physical body, lack of fear that what's going to happen next, and things like this. And that is why... Um, take it always with a pinch of salt. You need some honest, straightforward methods to produce the astral projection. And I can tell you that for the normal person, especially for the normal person who is not very fiery, the, this thing takes time. takes a lot of time and practice. And the best which I can say is this. Start using it like this projection, like you go in the corner of the room and then you come back to yourself. Ten minutes there, ten minutes back here. And things like this until it starts working for you. Then you will be able, you will see that when you go beyond a certain level, it becomes quite easy. It becomes surprisingly 
easy beyond a certain level. And like I still remember when I was playing with these things that you have so many discoveries. Like most people who do this, they are shocked to see how unstable the astral body is. It's exactly like you are on ice, skating on ice for the first time in your life. It's like a single movement and you are a hundred kilometers from here. You know, it's like this guy, Hancock, or the other guy, Jumper, I don't know. You know if they made one wrong move, they were a thousand kilometers away. That would be a very good metaphor for the guy from Jumper, I think, or something would be an excellent metaphor for astral projection. You know, that if you don't pay attention, your astral body can be in how many places at the same time. To conclude this, I will say that the astral projection and uh, the lucid dreaming definitely have applications. Application in your spiritual development, making you more detached, understanding the life beyond the physical body, getting to a higher level of consciousness and beautiful things which can be used in spiritual life, and also applications of a more paranormal nature, that you can travel here and there, you can know things, you can do healing. There is a whole village in Malaysia, <coughs> a fisherman village, a strange community in Malaysia, where everybody uses it just as a sort of collective psychotherapy. People dream, they are taught since childhood to dream and to use their dreams. They are not very, very, very good at it. Like, the astral projection is not mastered very well, but they have a sort of semi-conscious dream life and when they have a problem like two neighbors have a problem or there is a communal problem in their little community in the village they meet in their dreams they meet in the astral body and they talk with each other and they say okay you are right let's do it this way and like in the morning everybody is okay with it in the morning everybody notices that the problem has been harmonized solved and the tension has disappeared and this and that Therefore, <clears throat> there are many, many applications. Teresa of Avila claimed that she saved souls from hell, and it was good for her because she felt she was doing her mission, she was fulfilling her call, although it gave her negative karma and she had to lie in bed uh, most of her life. Uh, the shamans do it, and it's good for them. They feel that they are doing their stuff, communicating with spirits of nature, Great Buddhist gurus have done it, Tibetan gurus like whatever, I forgot the name of this second one, but definitely Guru Rinpoche Padmasambhava was a great astral projector. And that is why there are many, many applications and the astral projection and the lucid dreaming are very much embedded, weaved into the spiritual <laughs> life of this planet. At the same time, again, please remember, it's not necessarily the most spiritual accomplishment, and if you do stupid things in it, like what stupid things? Like to go to hell, for example, to go in places where you shouldn't go, then you can also get trouble, and that trouble can go as far as accidentally killing yourself with some heart attack or other things. Also in astral projections, if you go where you shouldn't go, there are entities which will attack you, vampirize you, you come back and that, uh, that is attached like a leech. It's exactly like you go in the forest and you get a tick or a leech, a blood sucker, and you come back and you have it on your skin and then you can't get rid of it or something. No? In this way there are entities that will suck you, exploit you because you are a 
total kindergarten kid in that world. You don't really, you are a beginner. And therefore, uh, it's much better that you know what you do with these experiments. I'm, I'm pointing the fact that even huge yogis from India, like Yogananda, not, not Yogananda, also Yogananda, I think, but definitely Ramana Maharishi, they couldn't do it. Ramana Maharishi was considered a highly enlightened yogi, and they asked him, Bhagwan, is it true that people can talk to dead spirits like we talk with each other now and see them and so on? And Ramana Maharishi with modesty answered, yes, it's perfectly true, but please don't ask me to do that for you because I can't. Like, I may be spiritually enlightened, but I don't have the ability to go in the astral body and talk with the spirits of the astral and so on. So remember that this is still a collateral accomplishment which with a little bit of skillfulness can be used for one's spiritual evolution and life, but not always. There, like Robert Monroe did not become an enlightened being because he was doing astral projection after astral projection. And when you read his book, Journeys Out of the Body, you can see that it gets a bit flat after a while. It gets a bit boring, like he keeps on roaming and roaming and roaming and roaming. And the question is, is this guy going to tell us fairy tales about his astral travels for the rest of the book? You know, it's like, where does all this go? In the case of Monroe, he was a bit of a genius. He was a humanitarian. He created the Hemisync technology. He was very interested in many, many things in brain research and stuff like this. So he was definitely a very special person with high ideals. But he also stopped somewhere in the middle of this. He didn't go the full way. And that's why I'm pointing to you both the advantages and disadvantages of this method. I think I spoke enough and I think now you started getting the feeling of what it is, what, how it happens from both ways. Let's have some of your questions and then if we're going to have time, we're going maybe to make a little experiment to see how it works. Remember, by the way, that Indian and Tibetan yogis, such as those crazy ones who lock themselves in a dark room, they were practicing very much the astral projection as an indication with the help of the third eye. It is considered that this chakra, which in slang is called the third eye, the eye of Shiva, the third eye of Shiva, the Agya chakra in Sanskrit, the chakra in the area of the forehead, is the best one for having safe astral projection without any complication, heart attacks or something. It's more difficult to achieve than the average one, but it is way more safe and way more spiritual. And that's why we might make a little bit of an experiment like this. <laughs> Questions if there are any, please. If you have a heart attack during one of these projections, what happens to your astral body or your karma? Or you simply remain in the astral body as if you was when you die. Okay. You just have gone earlier into your death. Uh, I, I always thought that it was Robert Monroe who did this, what I'm going to tell you now. But actually one of my pupils said that he researched and it was not Robert Monroe. The truth is that I didn't read it in a book of Robert Monroe. It was told to me by one of my teachers 25 years ago. And I took it for granted. And maybe it's not true. So if it's not from Robert Monroe, it's from some other dude. So here is what he did. This guy was in astral projection and suddenly being in astral projection, he has the impression, the feeling that a lot of 
people, spirits, whatever they were, converge in a certain direction. And he stops one of them because it's like a dream. So he stops one of those and he says, what's happening here? Where is everybody going? And one of them says, one of the apostles of Christ is holding a lecture somewhere, is speaking somewhere, <laughs> and we're just going to meet him to see him. And the guy says, boy, that's a cool one. And I was like, he, I could go now and watch one of the apostles of Christ in the astral world holding a speech. I really have to do this one. This will go very well in my book, you know. It's like this is an experience which is worth having. And he goes, he follows the other people. He flies and he has the feeling to go to a long distance. And at some point he stops. There is something white, like white light in front of him. And when he kind of recovers and looks, there is a being of light, which looks like an angel or something. Some white being stand, bars his road like this, and stands in his way. And he's like at a loss, you know, what happened? Why can't I go there? You know, he, and then this being says, I've been sent to tell you that in this place where you are going now, the silver cord, this string which connects you to the astral body, has reached its limit of extension. So if you go beyond this point, it will snap. And they will find you dead in the body tomorrow, in, in your bed tomorrow morning. And it will be like you had a cardiac arrest or something. And you will never be able to return. So it's up to you. I have not been sent to stop you. I have been sent just to tell you that now if you continue, you will not turn back to your physical body. And then the guy chickened out, he said, okay, I'm not prepared for this one. And he turned back, he said, it's a pity, I couldn't see this conference or whatever it was. <laughs> so, that's why I say, yes, there are some limits in the astral body, and uh, you can read much more about these things. Shamans know lots. I noticed a lot of this, when you're talking about it, movement through space, is it also yes. possible? Yes, yeah, it is possible. Uh, astral projection makes possible a level of uh, timelessness. It's true. We, I didn't speak about this. I'm glad you brought it up. In astral projection, like for example, Nostradamus himself was a Sagittarius. He was uh, therefore a, that's a fire sign, quite fiery, quite astral, and he induced his visions of the future by mixing up his accurate knowledge of astrology with looking into the fire. So he was sitting in front of a fireplace and looking into the fire and as he was astral, he basically went into some sort of astral projection and there from the throat chakra or from Ajna chakra he was having visions from the future and when those visions became clear and kind of he can put the finger on it, then he stopped and he wrote down one of those things and then he went back looking into the fire. This is how he claimed that he wrote his famous quatrains. And that's why, yes, there is a level in the astral body where it's possible to project back and forth in time as well. But it's more, a bit more difficult. Like, well, always when you talk in terms of space, people easily can visualize it. When it's in terms of time, it's like, where do you go? What is this? Um, not, not here, I think I didn't do it here this time, but I did it in Kelowna a couple of weeks ago. I had a lecture about space and time as understood in the Tantric meditation. And those of you who heard it last year, because probably I, I held one such one last year, then you can relate to that. 
in the astral body, surely it's possible to bend some of these lines of time and thus to have things from the future, from the past. But in the astral world it is even possible to have simultaneous events happening, like parallel events happening simultaneously. Like you can experience three different versions of the same reality, in which there happen three different things. No? Like a reality in which the Titanic sinks, a reality in which the Titanic miraculously makes it, and a reality in which the Titanic never meets an iceberg. You know, there are three different realities, and you can watch all three of them. Um, so then how would that relate when people do these kind of rebirthing experiences? Is that something that astral projection? The hyperventilation reactions sometimes produce some externalization of sensitivity. The parapsychologists don't call it directly astral projection because it's like you not you don't move it, they call it externalization of sensitivity. It's like your sensitivity moves away from the physical body, which gets numb like, and it moves outside to a much more exposed shell. Uh, the people who do this and sometimes they freak out and they have very strange experiences, they usually don't know how to take it from there and move along Broadway, you know, like fly along the Broadway Boulevard or something. They, so it's partly, there is something, they hit something there. The people rebirthing is a form of exercise from yoga called Garshanas, which are derivated from Bastrika Pranayama. Of, you know, and it's basically, some, some Westerners have seen yogis doing... <laughs> and then they said, oh, that's interesting, that looks really strong, that's cool, let's go home and do it, you know. And they started having Kundalini phenomena and so on. There was, in rebirthing, they got to the hilarious point where they had one person doing rebirthing with eight operators around him in case he or she freaked out. Because some of these people freaked out and they got the power of the madman and they started breaking, throwing, doing things and they had eight people to restrain them in case they were freaking out. So, so far it went. So these people were just in search of showmanship. They were in search of spectacular phenomena. They were not caring about the safety and doing something with it. They said, oh, it's really interesting. At least when you do rebirthing, you don't get bored. You know, something will happen. That's not some... It's true that, but at what cost? At the cost that you might snap a blood vessel in your brain or something, you know? It's not worth paying that cost. Can you reach past lives? Or, uh, your yeah, direction? in the astral body there exist images from the past lives as well. Recordings, whole clips, like cinematographic images from past lives. How does astral projection affect uh, yeah, the physical physiology of like, sleep? And do you rest the same? Do you rest better? Do you need more sleep? Do you rest? I met a few people for whom it spoiled their sleep very much. It's like it creates a sort of neurotic quivery, psychotic thing and so on, and it's a struggle for the body to adjust to it. But uh, it doesn't happen to everybody. Like, when I did many of the astral experiences which I did, I can't say it ever spoiled my sleep. Only that I, in some of the sleep, I seemed to have a huge, exceeding number of dreams. Almost to the point of like, 
boy, I'm tired of how much I dreamed, dreamt last night. You don't really get tired, but it's because you remember everything so much more vividly. So, it may interfere with your sleeping patterns, and not always pleasantly. But I don't think, in the long run, it will do that. Because they also recommend doing it at like 5 a.m. is the best time for us to okay. No, they do that very much. I would recommend that as well. And, or in the afternoon naps, because you are not very tired. And it's a bit near daylight, so the energy is a bit more yang. And also, not being very tired, you're not going to black out like a log and go, boom, directly in the very heavy states of sleep. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> there's been a couple times where I've had experiences where in psychedelic or meditation where I think of uh, something that is possible to do in the future, some kind of idea of making something real. And it's very hard, I get very motivated to make that thing real and work for it. And so, when I have these strong intentions, sometimes things, I see the world sometimes bending a little bit, or coincidences happen, and lots of chance events, and the dream maybe comes real, or often comes real. So I've always thought about that as a strongly held intention can bend the world a little bit to make things real. But I'm wondering now, as I hear you talking about astral projecting in the future time, is it possible that I'm seeing something? In the future, and I'm just following. What came first, the egg or the chicken? That's, that's the essential question, no? It doesn't matter, it's the same continuum, it's the same phenomenon, seen from the two ends of the, same, of the stick. You know? One is one end and the other one is the other. It doesn't matter which came first, if you saw it because it existed, or you make it exist because you saw it. This doesn't matter. I don't know if you realize, it's the same thing. I have four questions. Four questions? Okay. Yeah. Okay. My first question is, when I'm in a flying dream, I get such a strong sensation of elation and joy that it scares me and wakes and me up. up. How do I surpass that? You start, you try to be less excited and less elated. You hold your voice. <laughs> you simply say, whoa, 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 it's not a big deal. I've done this three times before. Take it easy, you know, like don't smile too broadly because it spoils your dream. Okay, second question. Um, I have dreams sometimes where I am surrounded by demons and I'm either amongst them and just hoping they don't figure out who I am and try and attack me so I just pretend to be like them or that they're, they're more active and there's a, a, um, a chasing element. How, when I'm those very terrifying um, realities, can I make myself feel safe? You can't unless you are a very big magician and you can grab them by the collar and bounce their head on well, the floor. Well, there'll be no? so, too many for me. Like That's what, it doesn't matter. Remember okay. the Matrix. Yeah. Neo, he was fighting with Agent Smith multiplied a thousand right. times, mm -hmm. no? It doesn't matter how many there are when you have the power. Like I don't want them to get their hooks in like you talked about, yeah. right? So how do I protect myself? It's again, it's a matter of the mind. You simply don't, it doesn't happen. You don't want it to happen, it doesn't happen. Because if you even consider the possibility that it might happen, then it will happen. Okay. So it's a matter of firmness of the mind. It's like you have to maintain the integrity of your being in your mind. Yeah. Like in your mind you are unhookable, yeah. unattackable. 
And therefore you don't even ask yourself this question. In the moment when you start asking yourself the question, you have cracks in your armor already. Right. No? It's a lack of self-confidence. It's a lack of, you have to be it, and then it doesn't happen. So the power comes from here. Okay. It's always the power of the mind. Okay. Um, the next one is when I'm projecting myself into the corner of the room, how do I visualize that self? Is it you as my You see yourself body? sitting there. It's like you look from there down oh, and you can see what yourself. What sees myself? I, my physical body shape yes. sees yes. myself? Okay. No, no. You see yourself as a physical body sitting there and you don't care what you are there. You are like a cloud. You are like something. It doesn't matter. Like a vapor, a ghost. But when, but when look, I'm trying to visualize that, what form can I visualize there? Visualize yourself like from inside your head. You don't see a form. It's okay. like you are inside you there. Oh, okay, I, I can do that because I've gone above in meditation, so I know that one. Um, and then the last question about ayahuasca. It's said that uh, people who are on antidepressant medications <laughs> should not journey on ayahuasca. Um, I'm wondering if there's any limitations if people have mental disorders as so many people suffer from in this society of schizophrenia or some other mental illness or they're on some psychotropic drugs if this is not a, a safe practice. It's not a safe practice, absolutely. Because people who are schizophrenic are usually possessed by some demons <laughs> and when you just get out of your body this possession becomes full on. That's just that's the way to give yourself in the hands. As long as you are in the physical world, there is a little bit of a screen between you and the entities that persecute you. So they reach at you at times when it's full moon, when you have a biorhythm low, when you know, and then there are moments when you go under crisis and there are moments when you are left alone. But to go in the astral projection is to give yourself on a silver platter for eight hours to those entities will do pretty much whatever they want. So in the case, it's true that some shamans and some very powerful yogis or healers, they could deal with this by paralyzing those entities, you know, and kind of grabbing them and saying, leave my friend alone, you know. <laughs> this is my friend, pump, cut off and leave them. But for that, you need a huge mental power. You really need to. It's like you need to be a, an actual exorcist. Okay, that begs a fifth question then. If somebody is suffering from schizophrenia, a mental illness, and they are um, consumed by demons, how can we help them in their healing? Schizophrenia is usually a very difficult karma. Very difficult. In my life I have seen, I know yoga statistics which say that you can heal cancer generally. Like in whatever stage, some people come in the first stage, some people come in the fourth stage of cancer. You can heal cancer 85% without chemotherapy, radiation and uh, surgery. And by the way, if you, God behave, get a cancer in your breast and you decide to go chemotherapy, surgery and so on, the chance that that cancer will be healed for the rest of your life and never come back is 3%. So 85% is gigantic, no? And everybody should do it, but we don't do it because it doesn't produce money for the pharmaceutical and medical industry. And therefore, I have seen people getting healed, eight, I, I know that people are getting healed 85% from cancer, and we do it in our yoga school on a monthly basis. But I can tell you that schizophrenia 
in very good environments, and I have seen it healed approximately 50%, which means one person got it, one person was not helpable. Because there is a karma there, no? The Tibetans and the Indians believe that schizophrenia comes from blasphemy against God and from destroying spiritual beings such as crucifying Jesus, making two yoga schools fight with each other, producing religious wars, so going directly, like a direct offense to the spirit. And then the karma for that is over the top. And uh, therefore it's very difficult to remove that karma in some situations. I've seen a couple of schizophrenics healed. Healed, they could lead a normal life, they could be normal human. They didn't become enlightened, but they could, be, they could live as normal human beings at least, which was a great thing. So no, I would not uh, recommend the psychedelic experience to a person who is there. You, you read always in the newspapers, no? Mother took gun, shot her three children, put it in her mouth, shot herself. What is this? This is a person possessed by a demon. Because only when you are possessed by a demon you can do that. No? That's, that's unfortunate. And that mom was a schizophrenic and she maybe shouldn't have had children and she shouldn't have had a gun in her possession. That's the problem, you know, because we let them go all over the street because they are human beings and they should be treated nice. You know? But when it ends in shooting your children and putting the gun against your own head, then we're thinking that maybe there is another kind of responsibility that we should have there. Do you agree well. then with antipsychotic medication? Antipsychotic meditation is very much like keeping them down because it's actually partly uh, sedative meditation, is keep them down. So it's all medicine can do. Drug them so that they don't harm themselves and they don't harm other people. But in this way you condemn them to live like this, to live like half paralyzed, half of a life. That's why many of them, as soon as they get the opportunity, they drop the medication. Because then they can breathe. You didn't take your pills. Life is, you know, and then you do something stupid, of course, because this is how they use their freedom. They use their freedom to do stupid things. So it's always a tragedy with the very hard mental disease. It's always a tragedy. It's, it's the worst. In yoga, we don't have anything more difficult than this. Like, give us a cancer, we deal with it smiling almost. Give us a schizophrenia, we can't do much. We try, but we can't do much. Please. Um, you talk about karma and uh, the cosmic world. I'm just curious about, um, if, um, let's say, um, you do eat too much in the night and um, your belly's not quite empty and you end up in the lower worlds. Yes. Um, is there anything um, you can do in the morning to, uh, let's say, you don't build any karma in your dreams, really, no. Okay. Don't worry about this, because in your dreams you're acting passively, it's a subconscious passive thing, unless you are a magician, if you are a shaman. Then you go in your dreams and do something, you know, that's the kind of thing which can create karma. Okay. But the fact that you dreamt that you're fighting with somebody in your dreams, that's it's produced passively, it's not something which you, your conscious mind, decided to do. Um, I have a question about UFOs. 
Much of it, yes, but it's not completely clear and I don't think that all of them fall in that category. It has been demonstrated that much of the UFO apparitions are completely compatible with some astral visions and hallucinations and therefore that they were actually not physical stuff. They were existing in this universe but they were part of a subtle reality. But I must say that there are some experiences where some people in America shot in a flying saucer and they could heal the bullets bouncing off it. That's difficult to turn it into an astral experience. So it's not only that. It's a mixture. I think some of the so-called UFO apparitions are nothing else but astral phenomena. If you read Ezekiel, Prophet Ezekiel, has a thing which Eric von Daniken, or I don't know which of these New Age people, takes and analyzes and shows that that could be a UFO apparition anytime. Because God appeared on a chariot of fire, which had like sapphire wheels and copper pipes, and I don't know what. It's like, it's like he's describing a flying machine, for God's sake, you know? It's like, and then what is this? A vision or a physical object, actually? That's very difficult to say. So, uh, I, uh, there has been a, I forgot who made it, Jacques Vallée, I think, or one of these French UFO scientists wrote a whole book about it in which he tried to demonstrate that there are some of them which definitely fit in the patterns of visions and angels, demons, whatever it is. But I can't see all of them there. Sometimes when people go through an experience like a very bad beating or rape or something, they talk about the kind of reason that they felt like they survived it was they somehow kind of went out of their yes. So is that kind of astral projection? Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah, that's a psychotic astral projection. It's a sort of defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. You do it even when you have a head, a toothache. You have a bad toothache and you, there is no pill, there is no painkiller. You sleep it over. You just go out of the body and then the toothache diminishes because you are out of the body and you are numb in the body and you are aware of another reality, of another universe. If you can fall asleep. If it's too strong, you can't even fall asleep and then it's hell. <coughs> yes? Whenever you um, do the Ouija board and you visualize yourself when you put yourself in the corner of the room and you watch yourself, what would be the next step after that? Where would you go with that? Well, you go wherever you want. Once you are there, you can fly like a soap bubble wherever you want. After Choose. Usually people who do these kinds of things, this kind of technique, they advise you to go in a known place. Or to follow a certain... Like to do what the road which you go onto your job every day. No? To just do that thing, like to go on a circuit which you know very well. But I feel like I've had that experience, but I haven't been able to see like a known environment. Like I could like feel like I could walk through the door and be out in the hallway, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't be able to walk out onto the street if I didn't know the street. Like I wouldn't be able to go into an environment. That's a bit more tricky, but it's possible. Then you have to be a bit more open-minded. Because your own censorship says it's not possible. Mm -hmm. There is a censor in your mind which says, what if you get it wrong? 
you shouldn't be afraid that you get it wrong. You should just get whatever you get and don't worry about it. That's why you always start with known places, because that's part of your mind is not there and until you get confidence. And when you get the confidence, that, that part becomes diminished. It's very important not to give yourself tasks which are beyond your capacity too much, because then you lose confidence and you flop. Yeah, the remote viewing, yeah, sure, I've seen it in many shows, even done live like this, and uh, we actually do remote viewing in the Parapsychology One workshops when we do them, and it works pretty well. <coughs> and uh, it's, that's not an astral projection, it's a mental projection, it's a projection of the next kind. It's that kind of, it's more abstract, more detached, not so implicated. It's just that intellectually you see, you perceive yourself, but you are not flying through it and being there. That's the difference. So astral project, I'm sorry, remote viewing would qualify as mental projection, not as astral projection. Would mental projection, would that be more evolved than astral projection? Mental projection is spiritually more evolved, more safe, more productive to your um, evolution and spiritual development, but it's more difficult to do, because precisely because it's a more refined process. So, like everything, you know, it has upsides and downsides. Do we have time for a little experiment? So, I'm going to play some music which works on Arjuna Chakra. Get carried into it, you are going to see it's very absorptive in a minute or so. And when you go into the mood of it, try to move, I would say, preferably through Canada, preferably not out of Canada, preferably in Vancouver, in a, in a place which you know very well, like to go down the Broadway, to simply visualize that you fly and take a left and go along this street and take another right and so and make a loop which should take like five minutes. If you do it more fast than that, do it twice or three times. Go again on that circuit, again and again. So simply fly on a very clear trajectory, like know your landmarks, go in a few places, it can be in this town. If you don't like town, just go up some mountain or something around. But it should be a place that you know very well. If you don't know it very well here, yeah. Yeah. I, don't. Okay. I don't know where That's why I said not out of Canada. Some other place from Canada. You don't know any place in Canada? This is okay. Now can we take a break and let me tell you the two words?
start from the beginning in a second. So therefore, sit as relaxed as possible. Don't have any blockage in your body. So forget to be able to forget about your body. Yes. Visualize that you go and go and go, and the more you forget about where you are right now, the better it is. Like if it's like you are totally absorbed, then it's excellent. Be totally absorbed in this experience. Those of you who said you don't know a place around, okay, go wherever you feel like, then it's fine, I'll be able to cover that as well. <laughs> so go in, a, in an area where you feel it is comfortable for you. And kind of don't engage in any activity or something. You are just an observer. You just float, fly, come back. You don't interact with anything. You just have this feeling of flying. Again, don't become physical. In the moment when you start swinging your body or doing things, you are mixing things up because that's physical. It's kind of, you should be able to kind of fall out of your body completely. Just do it with the mind. Focus on the third eye in the beginning. And imagine like you have a cylinder in front of your third eye, like a tunnel, and you are flying through that tunnel right forward. I don't know how many of you have seen the lawnmower man. In the lawnmower man they had a software which was producing exactly this tunnel vision. Exactly like this. So imagine that as you start moving, it's like the time tunnel or something. You start flowing into the third eye, Forward, 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 forward. Sometimes the speed can become dizzying. It doesn't matter. Just flow and flow. But then at some point, whoop, you are just like, whoop, like flying, stopping in some place. And then again, like it's very slippery and whoo, again somewhere else. You're going to see those of you who succeed. It's just an attempt. I'm trying to support you a little bit on Ajna Chakra. So those of you who uh, are a bit more astral, will have this experience. Now you can start.
that will do. Please come back slowly, keep your eyes closed for a few moments. Try to come back to yourself, try to evaluate the moments when you had feelings about this projection, how vivid it was, what other elements you can notice showing you the phenomenology related to this astral projection. This was a live recording of Swami Vivekananda Saraswati. For more information, visit us on agamayoga.com or go directly to agamayoga.com slash downloads.